Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Blue Murder Club. We are your hosts today. My name's Carrie and I'm accompanied today as always by my fellow host and my very good friend. Lauren. Hello. Hello, babe. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad, yeah. I'm good, thank you. Be yeah. Cute. Thanks for asking. Very excited to do another episode from our Around the World theme. I just fucking love Australia, mate. I just fucking love the theme, mate. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm buzzing. Yeah, Australia's nice and easy because it's just like... England, really, isn't it? Yeah, I just love Australians. Yeah. I just love them. So yeah. I, we've been watching Colin from a Cancer, haven't we? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I just think, I they're just love really these funny, people. They? Oh, yeah. I just love them. Yeah, they're yeah. Brilliant. brilliant. So down to earth. Yeah. Really good, yeah. So, yeah, like you say, we're in Australia this week and we're covering the case of Ivan Milat or the Backpack Murders. Yeah, motherfucker. Yeah, apparently Australia's, well, one of Australia's worst ever serial killers. Yeah. Uh, and they based I, that film Wolf Creek on him. Yeah. Which is... And it's a horrible... This a is nasty why we picked film. him, because, you, because of yeah. that film for you, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This is a really nasty, yeah. really nasty case. So, yeah, just to warn you all, this is a really horrible, nasty case. Crimes committed by a horrible, nasty yeah. man. Yeah. I um, Spoiler alert, he's dead now. Bye-bye. So, yeah, good. So, what have you been up to this week? Well, we went to Guns N' Roses, didn't we, on Friday? Sweet child of mine, we did. <laughs> Trying to turn you into a rock chick, and I think we've managed. I think you have, actually. Yeah. I feel so fucking rocking with the black lipstick. Yeah. Rock fans. I've done it. So fun. Yeah, we had such a good day, didn't we? Oh, it was brilliant. Yeah. I just kept reliving it, and I've got a bit of the blues. Mm, me too. Because I just loved it. Yeah, it was so good, wasn't it? Oh, brilliant. I was buzzing all the next day. Mate, I'm still buzzing. Yeah, yeah. I still to be am. Fair, and I'm still listening to music. <laughs> I am. And then I think, oh, I better listen to a podcast about murder for my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I did find it hard to like, float between yeah, the two. Yeah, me to be too. Fair. I kept listening to like Guns N' Roses' greatest hits and then putting on a documentary about Ivan Milat. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, it's been a mixed bag this weekend. It really has. Yeah, yeah, it was good, wasn't it? So, yeah, so um, looking at the case. Ivan Miller, I think he was about age 50 before he was actually caught. So mm. he had, he'd lived a really full life up until the point that he was incarcerated, wasn't he? You yeah. was going to look into his early life, wasn't you, to see if there was any indications or yeah. any clues as to 
why he turns out to be such a, a fucking psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> such um, a dick. Such a dick. <laughs> His handlebar moustache game is strong. I love I that like handlebar moustache. Yeah, it's a strong it's look. It's a isn't strong it? look. It really is. That with your mullet, you'd be rocking. Oh, yeah, I've got a mullet now, listeners. Yeah, you'll be rocking. It's beautiful. beautiful. I've, got it, I've got it special for Guns N' Roses. It is so, it is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, you. so um, I've got a bit of a theory, and I've, I actually come up with something. No, I didn't come up. I come upon something while researching which oh, right. I'll give to you at the end yeah so you've got a deduction yeah I'm Sherlock's done some deducing I wish <laughs> I wish it was my work to be fair oh I see well no it's all an accumulation of stuff yeah because I think the more you look into it the more bits pop out yeah yeah so... it does and like there's so many stories but this story normally we have one something one thing don't we one saying another mm-hmm. and it's hard to know which one's actually the truth it is when it comes to points like dates mm-hmm. and ages and stuff, isn't it? But you do tend to get a gist this of someone's one, yeah. character, don't you, if yeah. you're listening to everything. This one, there was no... Everyone had the same thing to say, mm. which was... Because it's like a bit of Chinese whispers, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So if they say this happened and this happened, this happened, mm. fair enough. But I think yeah, as it goes on, it is that Chinese whispers of such... Um, and things get lost, they'll get twisted a bit. So, like last week, I think I was saying to you, I can't really say this because I don't think it's true. I only heard it once. <laughs> yeah. Whereas this week, I know for a fact, well, I'm saying for a fact, I know most of it's true because I heard it about 10 million times from all different sources. Yeah. So, it makes me feel a bit more comfortable yeah. <laughs> telling the story. Right, yo. Off we, we go. Get going? Yes, please. Okay, so. Ivan Robert Marco Millat was born on December the 27th, 1944, to a Stephen Millat, and he was a docker. So he worked on the docks. I think they called it something else, and I can't remember what it was called now. But yeah, he mm. was a docker. And Margaret was a homemaker. Stephen was a crea- oh, creation immigrant. Croatian. Croatian. I've yeah. creation. <laughs> Croatian immigrant, and was 34 when he met and married Margaret, who was 16. Mm. They married and had 14 children, with Ivan being number five of ten boys, and then they had four girls. That's a, so many kids in it. God, my. I had one kid and thought it was like such a hard... How do you bring up 14 children? I you can't don't. even begin to imagine. You'll hear it. You don't bring mm. up 14 children. You really don't. Mm. You drag them up, maybe. Um, Things were tight for the family, obviously, with a lot of mouths to feed. And it was a strain on Stephen, who started to drink quite heavily at this point. And to make ends meet, Margaret would also have a farmer's market, where the older kids would help out and they sold everything from what they had grown to meat they had on the farm. And I thought that was quite a picturesque kind of thing in my head. I had something quite cute to look at. Um, They were really Catholic, Carrie, and um, Stephen ruled with an iron fist. How many times have we heard that? He was it's not unusual, though, is it, in no. them days? I think kids are spoilt nowadays. Bring back the iron fist. <laughs> My kids fucking are. Oh, don't. <laughs> he was now an alcoholic and would beat Margaret and shout at her in front of the kids and just abuse her in front of them, which in turn made Margaret lash out at the kids. So it was just a chain of events. If she got a beating, then one of the kids would get a beating and it would go on and on and on. Um, Boris, which is one of the ten boys, said of Margaret that he took quite a few beatings from her. 
She broke his arm when she hit him with a metal stick used for the tomatoes. And she also, quote, nearly took me bloody arm off when she sliced him with a knife. <laughs> nearly took me bloody arm off, I know, mate. I really tried to do it. I, I love s- that. Yeah. Um, the older kids. But it doesn't seem that, like, that seems to me quite jovial and jolly. Like, mm. it's not serious, but yeah, she nearly took his bloody arm off. <laughs> So the other kids would often pick on the smaller kids and torment them and just be just arses to them, really. You can imagine it was quite a feral existence, can't you? Yeah, oh, 100%. They were known through the community as the local pests, I've put it, because I couldn't quite think of the word. Yeah, asbos we call them nowadays, yeah, that's what I had in my head, but Mm. at that time you can't, so I just said pests. Yeah. So they lived in Guildford, New South Wales, before moving to Liverpool both suburbs of Sydney. Mm. They were called this because when the criminals were sent over from here, over to Australia, they named the areas of from which they came from. Mm-hmm. So they've got a lot of Liverpools, Guildfords and stuff like that. And I I thought it was quite um, telling, really. There's not a posh... Mm. Guildford's posh, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. Guildford's in Surrey. Yeah. Sorry's posh. Someone's from Guildford. You see, people just, just do nothing. Someone's oh, from. I don't know. I haven't someone. seen it. Oh. oh, maybe not. Yeah. Right. I think <coughs> there's a Brentwood. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> there's a Brentwood in Boston or near Boston because that's everywhere. That really weird. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the kids were known from the police from the eight, around the age of nine or Ivan's age of nine, and they liked to play with knife and guns and would use the yard as target practice. And they would get a lot of complaints from neighbours and stuff like that. But they, they didn't get to tell off as such. The parents just allowed them to do it. Because oh, I'm guessing it was out of their hair. And they've got too many kids to bloody look after. I'm really turning Aussie, and I? Bloody look after. Strafe, <laughs> Lauren. Strafe. <laughs> so, <laughs> Ivan's siblings noticed him being antisocial at the age of nine. And one of the, um, one of the naughtiest of them. Ivan, Bill and Boris was the worst behaviour of all the children. Ivan liked to harm animals and was quite proud of itself. I've called him an it now because it made me mad. By once declaring proudly that he split a dog in half with a machete. No way. Oh, my God. And he was proud of it. I hate him now. Yeah, that's why. I didn't like him before, but I really hate him yep. now. Didn't make you why angry. Why did you do that to that poor dog? He was just known to be torturing, like, neighbours' cats, animals Ooh, and all that. Classic, classic serial yeah, killer. Yeah, basically classic serial killer. Um, oh, but he was so he declared, and he was proud of himself, and he told anyone who would listen mm. that that's what he'd done. Boris, speaking of Ivan, said he knew that boy would kill from the age of 10. He knew. Boris was the brother, wasn't he? Yep. They God. would beg, borrow and steal. And if they got caught, they would change names. So Boris then become Ivan. Ivan became Bill because they all looked so alike. They could get away with it. Mm. Um, and at the age of 13, because of his behaviour and he had stopped attending school, Ivan was sent to like a boarding school after it hit. So it made me understand it more. Mm. But they call it something different, a residential school. Oh. But I'm guessing that's boarding school, right? Borstal, is it? Oh, it could be. Yeah. I think so. He was like quite lawless Naughty, from yeah. a young young age, wasn't he? There was no law in this family, none. <laughs> none at all. So when he just comes home from that, so he's 13, he comes home and his sister was knocked down by a car and she, she 
was really badly injured, fell into his arms because he was the closest one by while he was calling for help. So this, this is the one turning point that everyone seems to pick out. He felt a lack of control and he felt physically sick. From this point, he starts to change his appearance as well. He dresses well and he stood out from the rest of the pack. So they're all scruffy, all Mm. a bit... What's the word? Oh, feral. Feral, yeah, precisely. (laughs) All a bit feral, but he's not now. Mm. Because he describes it as he lost control and he never wants to lose control again. And you see this throughout the story. I'm going to point back to this. Mm. So his appearance changes. Everything changes for him in that moment when losing his sister. Have you seen photos of him? Mm -hmm. Have you seen the pictures of him dressed like a cowboy? I have. (laughs) Like a sheriff. He looks like Freddie Mercury, don't or would he out of Toy Story? Yes, yeah, you, one or the other. Do you know what nicknames he gave himself when he was dressed like a Tex. cowboy? Texas and Bargo Bill. Bargo Bill. <laughs> Sorry. So, no, it's okay. We are not going to be laughing much longer. We need to get no, the laughs no, in while we no, can. Get aren't it we? in. Chuck it in. Wherever we can. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he started to change his appearance. Um, so this was something he could control. Something he couldn't control was his dad's drinking and his sister dying two weeks after the accident. So she actually died after that accident. And at the age of 16, Ivan got a job with Peter Kentler, a fruit and veg driver. And after a while there, Peter began to really like Ivan and think, oh, I feel a bit sorry for him. He's from like a rough family. He need, all we need is a bit of guidance and that's what I'm here for. I'll help him. And he seemed to do the hard work and put it in. So when Ivan asked Peter for a loan for a car a year after, Peter happily gave him the money. However, things soured really, really quickly when Ivan and his brothers refused to pay Peter back. And they started to abuse Peter and his wife and show up at work saying, you're not getting your money, you bloody dinger. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> And just, yeah, again, I've read just being pests, really pests. Yeah. Finally, Peter had it up to his eyeballs with him, <laughs> and he's gone outside and beat the living shit out of Ivan. Like, beat him. And I was like, God, I have that. I feel. When this all came out, I bet that Peter put sat there and thought, you know what? I did that, kid. I should have. Yeah, I should have done more. Done but more, yeah. Disabled the bugger. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I've read, beat the living daylights out of Ivan. Ivan wasn't a smart man, and he wasn't a smart criminal. He was always getting caught. And him and a friend decided to try and steal a safe from a local armory barracks. Mm. Pricks. The soldiers returned home early and they just bolted. Yeah. But why would you steal out of anyone? Why would you steal from the army? Soldiers, why would you steal? Yeah, they are usually armed. They are armed. They're the army. And they're trained to, like, hurt you. So why would you steal from them? It's like stealing from a ninja. What's the de- what is the deal with breaking into safes as well? I know. The couple last week that we covered, wasn't it? The Bernies, yes. they tried to break into the a safe, safe in the, the drive-in. Yeah. Weird. Weird. Oh, jinx. Yeah, jinx. You can't talk now. No. Oh. <laughs> no, you jinx me first. I can't talk. <laughs> so at the age of 17, he got caught stealing and got put into juvie, I think, because juvenile. Yeah. Ballstool, they called yeah. it here, didn't they? Yeah. Like a prison for Kids, oh, it's horrible, yeah. isn't it, to think about prison for kids? I know, not nice, it's not is good. I'll, I'll just think of that um, film Scum. Scum, yeah, yeah, that's what that was about, wasn't it? Yeah, I love Ray Winston, don't I? So, yeah, who's your daddy? Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry, so as I said, he wasn't too bright, but somehow he had a bit of luck on his side at this point in his life. 
Um, when he got mistaken from someone else on an ID prey for shooting at a taxi driver. So he shot at a taxi driver and tried to steal. And when they'd done an ID parade, Ivan was in it, but the taxi driver ID'd someone else, not Ivan. Oh, wow. Yeah. They got away with it. He got away with it. Bloody hell. That's mad, right? Do you think, like, like obviously you mentioned how crazy his facial hair was. Mm-hmm. Be quite, I think it's quite easy for many to change their appearance just yep. with the facial hair. He could Listen. easily have done something like um, that. Yeah, so he hasn't learned any lessons and he was still stealing at the age of 19. He was involved in a shop breaking. At the age of 20 in 1964, he was sentenced for breaking it and then entering. He got 18 months hard labour. Mm. Sounds like a good sentence to give someone. Yeah, a I bit, thought bit that. Of punishment. Yeah, go and eat mm. some basham rocks with yeah. something and carry on. Yeah, working on a chain gang. Yeah, building tra- a train yeah. line. I'm thinking. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. It's Roads something. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, picking litter. <laughs> so um, he just got an out about a month and then got arrested again for stealing a car. And at the age of twenty, work two, he got sentenced for another three years for theft in September 1967. Throughout his teens and early 20s, he's just constantly in and out of prison. And you hear that quite a lot, don't you, with certain people. Like, the re-offending is just crazy. They will carry on re-offending, re-offending, re-offending. Mm. So the 7th of April 1971, Ivan was waiting outside Liverpool Railway Station. Every time I see Liverpool, I feel like a Liverpool, but it's not. <laughs> railway station (laughs) as he did quite a lot and he was witnessed by a few people doing this quite like stalking I would say and just being alert like lurking around Mm. twat Um, apparently like I've written apparently he liked to lurk around looking for tourists to see if someone was a bit lost and if he could quotation marks help them Mm. he noticed two 18 year old girls hitchhiking and lured him into the car when once they got in he drove to a remote part of the woods and pulled a knife on them and told them that that one of them would have to have sex with them and if they didn't they both would get killed so you choose what one i don't care i'm not like greedy i'll only have one of you but you get to choose who it is Fucking hell. yeah so one of the girls decided to be raped by him so they both wouldn't die and after he was done, he drove on with the two girls and they started to plead with him. They were really thirsty. They needed a drink. He needed to stop and kept on and on and on. So he stopped off at a petrol station. The two girls just hightail it out of the car, running to the station calf mm. and was crying, screaming, shouting, pointing at Ivan, just telling them this terrible story. Yeah. So a group of guys get together from the station, go out there mm. and start going on the chase to Ivan. Yeah. And Ivan's obviously shit his pants because he's nothing but a coward and steps on the gas and goes. Mm. <sighs> Fuming, mate. Did you know, after he'd raped that girl, mm. he suggested to them, why don't we just spend the week together? No, I didn't know Sorry, that. Sorry, that was a terrible accent. No. Why don't we just spend the week together? And they were like, mm, no thanks, mate. Thanks, but no thanks. Uh, you're a rapist. Why do I want to spend a week with you? I'll rape your texts. Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> Shows, Jesus. though, he, that's a bit of the Fred West about him. Yeah. He doesn't understand consent. Mm-mm. Not at all. Like they, that's what I got from him yeah, the whole time. They spent an hour in the car with him saying, I want one of you to have sex with him. And they both kept saying no until he got a couple of knives out and then one of them yeah. said, yeah. 
Yeah. So our whole hour we spent just trying to talk them into it, and eventually, come on, like, just one of you do it. Go. Yeah, but it weren't until he got Ooh. the knife out that one of them did it, and then in his head that means they want to do it. Yeah. Still, it's really a fucking warped view of consent. Yeah. Yeah, it's not right, is it? And he's quite controlling as well, so I'm thinking if he says do it, I think he's used to it because he's one of the older bullies in the family. Yeah. Saying to the younger kids, you will do this, they're going to do it because they're scared of him. Mm. So he's just used to it all the time, just throwing his weight by it and people doing what he's being asked of them. Yeah. So, well, again, that leaves me into another theory later, but we'll get there. So Ivan was arrested later that day and charged with one count of rape and two counts of armed robbery. While awaiting trial, Ivan has a plan to fake his own death. Now, again, I say, he's not the sharpest tool in the box. So he goes to a local spot called The Gap, which is an ocean cliff at the south head of the suburbs of Sydney. He leaves his shoes at the edge of the cliff (laughs) and then takes off to New Zealand. So he thinks, just because his shoes are left there, that people are going to think, my God, he's jumped to his death. So he's in New Zealand and he hides out there for two years and returns back to Oz using a fake passport. This leaves him... Oh, God, I've missed him. Sorry. This leaves him with the same old fault we've had many times on this pod, that he can't afford to keep his victims alive mm-hmm. if he don't want to get caught. Yeah. So how many times have we had that before? Yep. Same old story time and time again. If we leave them alive, we're going to get caught, so it's better off uh, just to kill Moses them. Satolo, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. I'm sure we've had plenty of them. Yeah. It was like Israel Keys as well. He also done it, didn't he? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, they just... He knows, as you say with Moses, if they kill them, they can't speak. So, um, in 1974, he's re-arrested when his mother was taken to hospital with a heart attack. Um, however, when he gets to court and that, his trial was acquitted. And Ivan's free to go and carry on doing the stupidness that he gets to carry on to do, which I think is just crazy. Ivan, um, sorry, took a job as a truck driver in 1975 with the Roads and Traffic Authority job, in which he had kept for over 20 years. It's a long time, right? Mm. So we're going to 1977 then. He repeats his brutal act again with another two girls. He tries to rape, kidnap and murder them. Um, They were leaving Liverpool, heading towards Canberra. And he was never charged for this crime because they didn't want to press charges. Mm-hmm. So that's another one. He's like, it's gearing up now. It's getting more and more violent, isn't it? And it's getting a bit more frequent. Yeah. So he also decides, as I said to you before, if he sees something, he wants it, he's going to get it because that's how he's lived his life. So he also decides he wants this young lady called Karen. But Karen was with his cousin, Kaz. But he wants her, so he decides to like take her, basically. But she was carrying his cousin's baby. And you know what he says to him? Oh, sorry, you're with me now. And he proposes to her. That's it, like ridiculous. And they marry in 1975, and the rest of the family don't attend. So I think he's pissed off a few people there by doing that. Mm. She has the cousin's baby, and they name him Jason, and Ivan raises Jason as his own. So Karen said his jealousy and his controlling ways were getting worse, 
and worse and worse to the point that she just can't live with him. So they start, they separate, and then they go on to divorce in 1989. Ivan also has an 11-year affair with his brother Boris. Do you remember Boris? Mm. Wife. He likes to keep things in the family, I've it. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. He wants what everybody else has and he thinks he can just say, you're mine, I'm going to do this with you, this is what we're doing and everyone's, as you say, there's no consent. He doesn't believe in a thing called consent. It's his way or no way. He's a man's man, isn't he? He is. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> so uh, he had a really strange quirk about him, as I said to you before, after the sister with the controlling ways and that. He keeps his house immaculate, case. keeps it completely pristine. He doesn't smoke and he doesn't drink. He doesn't drink and when he does, it's only a bit because he doesn't like that feeling of lack of control. He even has his grass cut in a certain way to a certain measurement. Mm. He has, <laughs> I was going to say, he has a major stick up his ass. I was going to do it seriously, <laughs> but I couldn't. Sounds like Monica. Yeah, yeah. I've read he has a 70s porn star handlebar moustache. <laughs> kept pristine though. It's always just yeah. so. Mm. He loves to cosplay over it because I didn't know what to write. Fancy dress, dress up as in the Wild West. He would have a sheriff's badge, and I was going to write Rusty Sheriff's badge, and I thought <laughs> no, and call himself Tex. But he was very rigid. He liked to make model planes, and he liked to paint his guns cameo. Now that must take... Camouflage. Yeah. Mm. It must take ages, mustn't it? <laughs> Do you not think? I think he sounds like an idiot. Yeah. Uh, but he had a really big obsession with these knives and guns, like huge. So um, what he'd do, he'd just take these paint, had painted guns and knives everywhere with him. Mm. Family parties, to the shops, going out for the nightclub and let's just take a gun with me. He was just obsessed by him. Yeah. Weirdo, isn't he? I think the whole family were well into guns. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah, it seems, yeah. yeah. I'm just thinking like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, it was a quite a pastime for all the Millets. They all yeah. were well into their guns. Yeah. Most of the Millet brothers have got photographs with their guns. <laughs> They're photographed with their guns. Jesus. Yeah. So he sets fire to his ex's wife's car mm-hmm. as an act of revenge. When so, she leaves him. Yeah, when she leaves him. Bloody hell. Yeah, so he's just, he's unhinged. There's definite red flags all over the shop. All his brothers said he was. They all knew he was very capable of extreme yeah. violence. Yeah, but all the brothers were. Yes, he weren't the only one. I've, yeah, they'd been raised forever, hadn't they? Yeah, I've got a theory, and um, you'll see, you'll see this theory. But yeah, um, Bill, Boris, and Ivan were the worst ones out of them all, mm. and they they were the meaner ones. Like, but Boris seems to think that Ivan had a mean streak about him, and that he would kill from the age of ten. But was that because Ivan was shagging Boris's wife? <laughs> Boris had an axe to grind. Yes. <laughs> Boris fucking hates yeah. Ivan for good reason. Yeah. Because of Marilyn. Yeah. The wife. Yeah. So we'll take what he says with a pinch That's of salt. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. You watch the documentaries that Boris is still very raging. angry. Yeah. yeah. He's raging. Which is, you know, understandable. <laughs> yeah. He's just livid, isn't he? Mm, he is. Yeah. So let's move on to the crimes then. We're going to go with the times they disappear right yeah Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. So he gets divorced from Karen in 1989. Mm-hmm. And right at the end of 1989, there's two um, backpackers, this couple, they're from the state Victoria. Mm-hmm. I think it's split into states, isn't it, Australia? Yeah. And they're from Victoria. Uh, they're only 19 years old, this couple. They're Deborah Everest mm-hmm. and her boyfriend, James Gibson. Yeah. Um, now, you're a little bit too young for this, but in 1989, it was the second summer of love. And everybody was getting off their faces on acid and smoking loads of drugs. Wow. And growing, all the boys were growing their hair long. There was a big hippie revival. Wow. And these two were well into it. Even you see the pictures of James, he's grown his hair really long, he's got a floppy hat on. And they were on their way to a hippie festival in a place called Albury. Mm-hmm. Now, just to touch on the fact that all seven victims that we're going to discuss today had stayed in Sydney and were making their way they were going to be hitchhiking, usually south towards Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, on the, I think, on, on the, the Hume Highway is the main sort of hunting ground of this fella, this Ivan. Anyway, so this couple, they lived, they lived quite far away. They lived in, uh, like I say, they lived in a place called Surrey Hills, which is in Melbourne, in Victoria, mm-hmm. which is right at the south tip of Australia, and then in Sydney, which is on the east coast. It's New South Wales. So they had to hitchhike from Sydney, 300 miles away to the Hippie Festival in Albury, which is about halfway between where they were and where they lived. Yeah. So that's that's sort of setting the scene kind of thing. So they were last seen on the 29th of December, 1989, on the Hume Highway. Um, and they just disappeared. Nobody heard of them again. Um, but the next day... His camera, so um, James Gibson's camera was found. Mm-hmm. So two days later, on December the 31st, um, on the highway near northern Sydney. So no one was looking for the couple anywhere near where they ended up being found. Um, and then on the, March the 13th, so three months after they went missing, his backpack was found alongside a place called the Galston Gorge, which was over 75 miles away from where he was eventually found in the Belangolo wow. for- Forest. So... There was nothing, I mean, the fact that they went missing near Sydney, their possessions were quite near Sydney. Mm-hmm. There was nothing to indicate that they'd really left that area. No. So no one was even thinking about looking for no. them over in the Belangolo Forest. Um, so 
that was that. Then we come to this um, young lady. She was a German girl called Simone Schmiedel. Mm-hmm. And um, all the other victims of Ivan Miller were taken as a pair. Mm-hmm. So there were two couples and a pair of young women. This young lady, uh, Simone, she was the only one that was on her own. So um, it was the loneliest, loneliest of deaths for Simone Loretta Schmidl. She was so lone terrified in the hands of a sadist and a serial killer in a forest clearing far from home. Um, of all the backpackers Ivan Milat murdered, the slaying of Simi, as her friends called her, was particularly cruel. Um, probably Simi was aware of her impending death for some time. Uh, Ivan Milat severed her spine in two places to render her paralysed um, before the final stab wounds. And I think pathology showed this is what he did to most of the victims. Yeah. He paralysed them, first of yeah. all. Um, now then, Simone. So it was Sunday, January the 20th, 1991. Mm-hmm. So it's just about a year after the first couple have yeah. disappeared. Simi had left Sydney at around 8.15am. The young commercial assistant from the Bavarian city of Regensburg, so that's in Germany, mm-hmm. has struck out on her own, leaving her German-Australian friend, Jeanette Muella, to hitchhike alone to Melbourne. Um, she'd brushed away Jeanette's warnings not to do so. Simi said to Jeanette, when Jeanette tried to warn her against hitchhiking alone, that she'd read a tourist book and as she read that it was safe to hitchhike because, quotes, all Australians were warm and friendly, plus she was carrying a knife. Um, Simi and her friend Jeanette had just been hitchhiking together around Australia and New Zealand for several weeks and they'd most been getting, mostly been getting lifts with truck drivers. Um, later on, Jeanette would say it's pretty safe hitchhiking, especially with truckies. They call them truck- oh, Like you truckies, said earlier, the Aussies, yeah. they always like have really cool words for stuff. They like. do. So, yeah, they're, not, they're called truckies. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, so Ivan Milat, he had two days left of his Christmas break when he abducted Simone Schmiedel in January 91. Um, I noticed this pattern, you know, quite a lot of the people went missing on holidays. Yeah. So the young English couple that you're going to cover mm-hmm. later on, they went missing during the Easter break. Mm-hmm. Um, this lady here, Simone and the couple that I just discussed, the Australians, they went missing at Christmas, during the Christmas These- break. My other one's Christmas break. Yeah, it's like he he had a break from work and thought, oh, what should I do? It's really weird. Stab, stab, yeah. I said, why don't he just stay at home and finish off the turkey like a fucking normal person? Yeah, exactly. Um, so Simi was adventurous and she divide, defied her father's wishes to travel alone in Australia. Um, um, sorry, her friend Jeanette said, I think she didn't get a lift with a truckie because she wanted to get in a normal car because she thought it would be faster getting to Melbourne. So um, Simi had left the Guildford home where she'd been staying to travel by bus the 15 kilometres to the Hume Highway at Liverpool from where she would hitchhike. So I think this, I think it sounds to me like the Hume Highway is quite a link between Sydney and mm-hmm. Melbourne and lots of people just made their way there and then hitched the rest of the way. Yeah. Because Australia is such a massive country, I don't suppose sure, um, yeah. public transport is very frequent and it's quite expensive as well so she only had four days to get to hitchhike from where she was to melbourne airport where she was going to meet her mum erwina off the plane from munich um the pair were especially close and they'd planned a six-week camper van tour of victoria before flying home together back to germany um simone was the only child of divorced parents and she was described as adventurous and personable um jeanette said she always introduced herself as simi 
I used to have Simone and she was very friendly. Wow. She talked a lot and she liked to communicate with people to try and improve her English. Um, Jeanette said when she gave her a hug and said goodbye, Simone was wearing a yellow singlet, which is a vest. That's what they call vests out there, mm-hmm. um, that she bought in New Zealand, khaki shorts and stout walking boots. She also wore large black framed glasses and her brunette dreadlocks were tied up in a compact O-mat headband and she carried a huge backpack. Um, that compact O-mat, I think it's the name of a company or something, yeah. but it's just the wording that was on her headband that kept her dreads out of her face. Mm-hmm. Um, in this huge backpack were a Salewa Salewa brand sleeping bag, a green water bottle with the word Simi scratched into it, a Bald Hogan brand tent with pegs and cords and a portable German brand cooking set. Uh, now, Simi, she was really tall, like her father, Hubert, mm-hmm. and she was waiting on the highway at Kasula near Liverpool in southwestern Sydney, and her distinctive look would later spark the memory of passing motorists. So I suppose, you know, she's a really tall girl, she's got these magics, yeah. and yeah, yeah, people kind of would remember her later yeah. on when she goes missing. Um, now, unfortunately, Simone's remains were found in 1993. Mm-hmm. Um by a place called Miner's Despair Fire Trail in Belangolo State Forest in November 1993. Yeah. Um, so, the day that Simone crossed paths with Ivan, he was driving a silver four-wheel drive, and by then he'd already murdered at least two people. Um, yeah, so earlier that year, obviously, he'd picked up Deborah and James. And, um, yeah, so... That was it, really. Uh, obviously, there's no dispute about how Simone got there. He obviously put, mm-hmm. got her in the car and drove her there. Yeah. Um, it can only be pieced together, so... Yeah. It well, looks like... Well, it says here she was 175 centimetres tall, uh, which so she was about the same height as Ivan Miller, but he was quite strong because he was physical. Mm-hmm. Like, he worked on the roads as a physical labourer, didn't he? Mm-hmm. He lifted weights, plus her knife would be no match for his loaded firearm. Um, Milat drove her along the forest roads for eight kilometres until they came to a site, uh, like all of Milat's other burial grounds, relatively flat in an area dominated by steep gorges and winding gullies. She was probably already tied up and then Simi was taken from the car, which was uh, 40 metres to a small clearing. Um, Before or after he had severed her spinal cord, Milat built a campfire ringed by stones in a near-perfect circle. Um, He would then stab... Poor Simi six more times, punching her heart and lungs and leave her body face down with her hands crossed. And then he covered her body with a coffin-like canopy of leaves, ferns and twigs and branches. Um, so this is really creepy. It makes me think that he would paralyse them or disable them in some way, then set up a campfire. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? In one of the crime scenes, six cigarette butts are found where mm. he's like took his time having a fag while he's doing what he's doing with these people. And they can't move, but they are aware. I mean, it's really horrible, isn't it? It's not nice. It's torturing and it's yeah. sadistic. It's yeah, really it's disgusting. Nice. So back to the story of um, her mum. On January the 24th, as scheduled, Awina Schmiedel flew into Melbourne Airport and she was really excited to be meeting up with Simone, who she'd only spoken to a few days before. Um, back in Regensburg, Germany, Hubert Schmidl was feeling hopeful his daughter would have a final adventure with her mother and then both they'd be, and then they'd both be home. Simone had left Regensburg, which is a medieval city on the river Danube, 
on September the 29th, 1990. He said, like her dad said, he'd driven her at 5.30am to the train station where Simi's friends from the um, local gymnastics club Aww. had gathered with a banner bearing her name to say farewell. They all considered her to be daring and admirable. Um, he said that he did not like the idea of his 21-year-old daughter travelling around Australia with a backpack and a tent on her own. And that he tried to talk her out of the trip, but he realised he couldn't make her change her mind. So it sounds like she was quite independent. Yeah. Um, she'd also previously travelled overseas and she didn't. She wouldn't be put off. Um, she told him, don't worry, I'll be home safely. I'll be back home in six months. Uh, to wild cheers from the gymnast, Simone left. Um, and her return flight was booked for March 2nd, 91. So when her mum... She arrived at the airport, so she's there, and the crowd starts to thin out at Melbourne Airport, and there's still no sign of Simi. So she sought help at the information desk. Um, in, a German interpreter was found, and Mrs. Schmiedel was taken to a police station to report Simone missing. Um, eventually, the police flew Jeanette Muller, obviously mm-hmm. that was her travelling companion and friend, down from Sydney. And um, the distraught Edwina, you know, her mum, she gave a press conference with Jeanette translating about her missing daughter. Mrs. Morella told journalists that um, Mrs. Schmiedel thought the worst that had happened. So, obviously, even at that point, she just knew Simi wouldn't just vanish off the face of the earth. She knew something was very wrong. Uh, she said Simone would not have been careful who she hitchhiked with. She just wanted to get to Melbourne as quickly as possible to meet her mother. She knew there was a danger in hitchhiking on her own. She had a knife with her in case she got into trouble, but it wouldn't have been enough. We still have hope, but it's running out. It's too long without hearing anything. Um, Jeanette I told Simone not to hitchhike alone, but she was determined to do so. Jeanette told... Um, in in Germany, Hubert was alarmed to learn Simi had failed to meet his ex-wife. And um, he said he felt he would never see Simone again. So I think he felt the same. As soon as he found out she hadn't turned up when she was supposed to, he felt he was never going to see her again. He just kind of knew. Mm. Um, he turned to the local police in grief, despair, anger and unbelievable fear to make a missing persons report and little did he know that at that point two, well, not too much longer two other German families would report their loved ones missing in yeah. Australia wait just a sec wrapped around the skull when they found her mm-hmm. body was the compact I met headband because oh. she was only a skeleton by the time they found her. Oh. Um, the forensic pathologist and a dental pathologist confirmed that they were those of Simone Schmiedel. Her skeleton still wore a pair of shoes and other items of clothing were still visible on it. Um, a police spokesman said Miss Schmiedel's relatives in Germany had been notified of the find. However, Hubert Schmiedel was driving a bus on his shift in Regensburg when his ex-wife, Awina, appeared at the end of his stop. His end end of his round I suppose and he said he knew by her face that his beloved Simone had been found and he'd already come to terms with the fact his only child was dead but he didn't grieve any the less Awina had heard the news on the radio before police could contact either of them that's brutal that's bad isn't it Mm, and at the crime scene not right on top of it but pretty close to the crime scene a pair of pink jeans were there that did not belong to Simone and they actually belong to a young woman called Anya. So, yeah, that leads me on to mm. Anya and Gabar. Um, so, they were last seen checking out of King's Cross Hostel on December 26, 1991. So, that was quite a perspective of you saying another holiday because this is the Christmas after. Yeah, it's like he's too busy with work to yeah. be... 
And the, these two, the ones you've just done and these, they have a lot of connection with you, both from Germany. Yeah. Both, back, oh, they're all backpacking, aren't they? But yeah. yeah, they have a lot of, both in holiday, so it has a lot of crossovers. It does. Um, they're both natives of Germany. They were both on a backpacking vacation in Australia at the time. Adelaide? Got it, Adelaide. Got it so badly wrong. Where that was their last stop before jumping back on a plane back to Germany. Mm. So they were literally, they were a couple, young couple that decided to go travelling together. Yeah, and just to think that they weren't that close to getting home, that's mm. what does me. So um, in November 1993, so literally days after their fan Simone, they yeah. find a shallow grave of two more victims. And they were 21-year-old Gabal and 20-year-old Anya. Um, Gabal had stab wounds, uh, stab wounds similar to the first lady so he was um, snapped in his neck back chest and again his spine was severed um, but he also had bullet wounds and then Anya was had the worst death I think out of everybody <clears throat> so she um, oh, she was the same sort of thing made paralysed I think tortured quite a lot stabbed and then <sighs> It's determined that she was decapita- decapitated while still alive. So she would have kind of known, because, you know, when they say when the head leaves the body, the specialist team seemed to think um, a skull was never found, Carrie. So this is, was, was their last part of the trip before heading back home to Germany. They were reported missing by family and friends in January 1992. The police was um, really fearful at the time because they thought this once safe community is now disappearing around them despite desperate to catch the serial killer. So they ramped up the reward. So the reward at the time was $100,000. They've ramped it up to $10 million in hope of catching someone because they just can't let this carry on. um, Too much has gone on. By now, so that moves us on to the 19th of September 1992. So we've gone back in time, but there's a reason for it. So these two victims were found, they were the first to be found, but the last to be killed. Mm. So they were last seen in April 1992. So when would that again leave in the hostel in King's Cross? So I'm guessing that might have been Easter. It was Easter, yeah. Mm. So they were found on the 19th of September 1992 in the Bangalore Forest by two runners. They were running doing an excursion, I was going to say. It's not, it's um, orienteering. orienteering. And they discover something which they soon find was a body. They smelt it, didn't they? Yeah, and it was laying face down and they realised something terrible had happened. So they phoned the police. When the police arrived, they find another body 100 foot away. These victims are Caroline Clark and Joanne Walters. So they were backpacking around, starting in Sydney, then moving towards New South Wales to finish their trip. Caroline was 22, had not long moved to Stanley with her family when she embarked on a dream of backpacking trip to Australia with her friend Joanne Walters, who was from Wales. Wales. Mm -hmm. Caroline was the youngest of Jackie and Ian's three children, 
and was they were quoted saying Caroline was a lovely girl and it had been an ambition to go to Australia since she was quite young. She saved enough money to pay for a flight out and were thrilled. we were really thrilled for her. We didn't want to stop her. The Clarks moved to Slaley from Surrey in the early 1990s and Caroline stayed with them for about six months before heading off travelling. She picked through at Boxsters near Corbridge before going into railing in Europe and spending nine months in Australia before her death. So she's travelled quite a lot prior to this. She wasn't sure of her, what her long-term career goals were going to be. Caroline had carried out the role as an au pair, but had plans to continue travelling to the likes of Indonesia and China. Excuse me. <clears throat> Caroline had been blindfolded. They had found her with a blindfold on. She had marched into the forest where Ivan used her as target practice. She was found with ten shots to her head. That's fucking vile, isn't it? He wrapped a jumper over her head. Mm. Yeah. Joanne Walters was a nurse looking for an adventure when she and Caroline set off. They, she was found stabbed in the neck, chest and spine. The spine attack was so brutal it severed her spine. She was flat found. Right, this is what I keep banging on about and you can tell me now I can finally get there. So she was found clutching hair in her hand. The hair was sent for DNA testing and in 2018 it was without a doubt that it didn't match Ivan. So there's speculation that there were two murderers or he at least had a com- an accomplice because that hair was in the struggle of her killing, but it wasn't Ivan's. So was there two murderers with different MOs or did Ivan have an accomplice? What do you think? Oh, I think I think one of his siblings yeah, I was agree. there. I agree. But there I was think... also um, there was a swab taken from mm-hmm. jo- Joanna. Mm-hmm from her vagina Mm -hmm. and they said that um that wasn't handled correctly in the lab so they couldn't test it yeah and it was too early for it to be i think at that time when they got the dna swab out it was too early to detect so do you remember we had a case where it was like an a it was either from an a1 or a b1 or it wasn't a proper it couldn't be determined as the proper DNA because mm. that didn't come out until later. Yeah. So they couldn't determine if that was right. Or, do you know mm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's them two poor girls. So we move on. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's fine. I was just thinking, uh, the bit I heard, they said that they couldn't get any conclusive thing from oh, the hair, okay. so I don't know. But like you say, there's so many, it's such a big case, so mm-hmm. many people have been involved in it. Yeah. Uh, I don't really know, to be honest. But um, but yeah, I mean, God knows, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so there was a man, right, let me just find him, he... um. He heard about the couple, the two girls. I think the police spent about a month searching the forest after mm-hmm. Caroline and Joanna, Joanne were found and they couldn't find any other bodies. <laughs> so in October 93, so this is a, about a year later, mm-hmm. there's this Australian guy called Bruce Pryor and he said he had this voice in his head that kept saying, there's more, there's more bodies out there, just keep looking, just keep looking. Um, 
some reports say he was just out searching for firewoods, but I like to believe that he just had this sixth sense. Mm-hmm. He just was very tenacious and just was like, I think the police may have given up a little bit too quick because yeah. it looks like they did. Um, so he's out there all the time looking looking in this forest. So October 93, he's in quite a remote area of the forest when he discovers the skeletal remains of Deborah Everest and James Gibson, who had wow. gone missing. They'd been missing almost four years by now. Wow. So there's not going to be fuck all evidence left, no. isn't there? Um, yeah, so it was found on the fire trail and it was less than 500 metres from where Caroline and Joanne were discovered. There were similarities between the killings. The backpacks had been taken and a knife and guns had been used. Um, and there was indication that the victims had been tied up during the autopsy and stuff. James Gibson's body, it was unearthed. It was in the fetal position and he'd been stabbed eight times with a large knife. Once had sliced, like cut through his spine, which would have caused paralysis. But he'd also been stabbed multiple times in the back and chest and he had punctures to his heart and his lungs. Um, his fly was open, but the top button was done up. Um so it indicates sexual assault, doesn't it? Uh, Deborah Everest, she'd been stabbed in the spine um, and she had several skull fractures. She'd been really severely beaten. Um, her skull had been fractured in two places and her jaw was broken. Jesus. Plus she had four slash marks on her forehead. I mean, he's really angry with yeah. her. Sounds like a woman hater, doesn't he? Yeah. And you've got to remember, these two met Ivan not long at all after his divorce came through yeah. from Karen. So yeah. I think he's really angry. Not long after he divorced Karen, he had another relationship with a woman that didn't work mm-hmm. out as well. So just sounds like he's really angry with these yeah. women because Deborah was really severely, like the violence against her was much, much worse than her boyfriend. Um, her grey tights and a black bra with a stab mark in one of the cups was found nearby. No, I don't know. Like that's just, I mean, he's stabbing her through her breasts. Yeah, I don't like that's that. just such a massive indicator of how angry he is mm-hmm. with her. And it was clear the victims had been alive for a period of time before they'd died. They, they did find, um, so just going back to Simone Schmiedel, um, she had been stabbed at least eight times. Her spine had been severed twice. and the knife wounds had punctured her lungs and her heart. She would have been paralysed but still conscious and aware of what was happening to her. She was then repeatedly stabbed in the front and the back of her body. Uh, It was described as a frenzied attack by the person that examined her in an act of rage. Her skirt was pushed up around her neck and her skeletal remains were covered in foliage. Like, all of them had been covered in, like, leaves, Uh branches, dirt, just not even a shallow grave really they've just been covered over with just the debris of the forest floor but there was also an empty box of .22 caliber cartridges and a length of rope nearby along with the remains of a campfire and cigarette butts each burial site there was a campsite nearby so it's just like literally just tying them up yeah. having a campsite just making a fag and just letting them sit there scared to death yeah Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Um, so once Caroline Clark and Joan Walters had been discovered, so these are obviously, like you mentioned, they were the last people to die, mm-hmm. but they were the first ones that were found. Mm-hmm. A major task force was assembled um, to find the killer. It's called Task Force Air. And it was led by one of Australia's most experienced major crime detectives, Commander Clive Small. Mm-hmm. Because the victims had multiple stab wounds and gunshot wounds, this led to speculation that there could be more than one killer at large. So they called in a lead, the leading Australian forensic psychiatrist, Dr Rod Milton, who had over 25 years' experience of profiling serial killers. Uh, he said he was taken to the scene of Caroline and Joanne's crime to get a feel for what happened. Um, Joanne had been discovered. She was under a rock. So it was a really big... Did you watch the documentary on it? Yeah. Yeah, there's a big rock, wasn't there? Mm-hmm. A bit of a hollow under yeah, it. And she'd been tucked it. underneath yeah. the hollow and covered in leaves and stuff. Um, so he, she was under the rock and she'd been severely attacked with a knife. Went to the neck. That would have been fatal alone. And her clothing had been arranged next to her, suggesting a sexual assault had occurred. And Caroline was left 30 metres away. And been repeatedly shot in the head. So his profile was of two people that grew up with violence, that were one one was older and more dominant, and the other more spontaneous, and that they would already have a criminal record. That he'd be a blue collar worker who was familiar with the area, and that it was someone who loved guns but hated women, loved power but hated authority. So they started to comb the records for someone who fit that description, who lived close to the Belangolo forest, who might fit the profile. Um, because they decided it must be someone, it must be a local, because they're obviously, like, just familiar with the woods Mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, The whole Millat family was under suspicion. And um, so, yeah, what happened was, um, time goes on, more bodies turn up. Mm -hmm. So a whole year goes by, it all goes cold, nothing really comes of it. The other bodies turn up and then it all reignites it again. So once the German couple had been found... The Australian Prime Minister John Fay visited the crime, like he visited the forest, and he announced a reward of half a million dollars. And public warnings were issued to all backpackers to steer clear of the Hume Highway and to be careful of their surroundings. Um, it was also noticed that the killings had become more ritualistic, more frenzied. Um, right, let's move over to a man called Richard James Millat. So he's one of the Millat brothers. Richard had unwittingly got his brother caught when he boasted, I know who killed those Germans. <laughs> so when um, Gabor and Anya's bodies found, were found in Belangelo, he said, I always thought he was a great fella. Um, he said, I never thought of my brother as a serial killer, adding he didn't believe that his brother was guilty of the murders. Um, but when people remarked, um, 
announced that Caroline Clark and Joan Waters' bodies were found. Richard remarked, there's more bodies out there. They haven't found the two Germans yet. But the Germans were found over a year later. Um, so that makes me think maybe Richard may have yeah. had something to do 100%, with it. A hundred percent. Apparently Richard was, was a stoner. So he, and he was like not the brightest spark. Mm. But how did he know a whole year before that there was yeah. Germans out there? Yeah. Oh, he was in on it. So this is sort of this gossip has made its way back to the police. There were a lot of tip-offs, obviously. You can imagine once the Prime Minister's gone on television about it yeah. and all that sort of thing. There's a lot. It was over 5,000 tip-offs. Wow. Um, but they've got their profile. They've narrowed it down to about 32 suspects. And um, this is becomes like worldwide news now. Um, so here we are over to the UK. There's a man called Paul Onions, who if you're familiar with this case, you'll know his name. Oh, good so, old Paul Onions. Yes, this is 1993. He hears about... I think his friend actually heard about it and called him and told him about it. And Paul Onions, um, he hears about the bodies that have been found and the subsequent appeal, and he contacts the police about what has happened to him. Mm-hmm. So it turns out he had escaped from Ivan Millat, and who had used the alias Bill when he'd been travelling around Australia four years before in January 1990. So this is actually... It's the holiday time again. It's yeah. Christmas again. Yeah. So he was um, hitchhiking on the Hume Highways, making his way to pick fruit at Mildura, which was in Melbourne. So he also started his journey in Sydney, like mm-hmm. the rest of them. He's, he'd already spent about six weeks in Sydney. And so he hadn't really met any Australians. He said he'd just been hanging around at Bondi, just with all the other Brits and tourists and whatnot. And the very first proper Aussie that he met was Ivan Miller, who introduced himself as Bill. Now... I know you touched on this before. All the Millat brothers used to swap names. They all mm-hmm. look the same. It's mm-hmm. how they got out of trouble. And very often, Ivan would just say, I'm Bill. Yeah. And try and pin it on his brother, William. <laughs> I suspect vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he picked up a lift with Ivan Millat, who was in, driving a white Toyota Land Cruiser outside a shop near Mittagong, a tiny town in New South Wales' Southern Highlands. Mm-hmm. Um, may I just point out, about two months maybe not even that, not long after the body started to be found, he sold that fucking truck. Oh, we know, didn't they? He sold he that truck, Lauren, know. yeah. And um, when the police sort of start to narrow it down to Ivan Millat, they get that truck off the person that's um, bought it off him. They examine it and they find a point twenty two calibre bullet under the driver's seat. So he's not that much of a clean freak. No. He didn't clean that van before he, got, before he sold it. And, um, yeah, it's exactly the same bullet that goes into the rifle that killed Caroline Clark. Of course it was. So, yeah, he's not that prestigious at all. Um, So, anyway, back to the story of Paul Onions. He's in the car and they're driving along the road and everything's all right. And they're just chatting with each other. And he tells Ivan that um, he's just served some time in the Royal Navy. Um, But he's 23 at that point. He's a air conditioning engineer that he just said he got a bit restless in the UK fancy coming to Australia doing a bit of travelling backpacking and whatnot. and um, Paul said everything was just fine and normal they was chatting everything was alright and then they got to a certain point near this Bill of, um, what's it called Billanango Bil- yeah yeah forest yeah. and he said he just felt the atmosphere in the van change he just felt he started to get aggressive and angry oh, um, no. Ivan Miller and he started to ask, like, just be really derogatory about um, tourists and foreigners and stuff coming over. And so Paul's just sitting there, just like probably just quiet, and he started to feel a bit worried and stuff. 
but he said he said you got two minds you got your mind that's I think you've got your primal mind, this is yeah. my view, which is telling you you're in danger. Yeah. Then run. you've got your logical brain going, don't be an idiot, you're getting a lift. Yeah. Shut up, everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. So he's that's the mind that's the frame of mind he's in at the moment. When um oh he kept asking him as well, just little questions like, So is anyone expecting you? Does anyone know where you are? That kind of thing. And um which is, you know, pretty normal, I suppose, kind of thing. Anyway, so if Lie um, onions, lie through your teeth. exactly. And then um, all of a sudden, Ivan just says to Paul, oh, now we're out here in the sticks. We're losing the radio signal. Let's put some, I'm going to just dig a cassette out so we can play some music. And Paul said he noticed that the radio was fine. There wasn't anything wrong with the reception. And he was like, all right, right, cool, mate. So uh, Ivan's pulled over to the side of the road. And um, Paul's looked down and thought that, oh, hang on, all the tapes are in between the seats. Why is he, what's he doing in the back? But so he thought, oh, I'm going to just jump out here and stretch my legs. And Ivan come round because he'd been around the back of the van and he went, he got really angry and he told him, get back in that van. What are you doing out of the van? Get back in the van. So Paul was like, all right, mate, sorry, calm down. I'll go and sit back down. So Paul got back in the truck, put his seatbelt back on. Ivan sat back down, pulled out a gun and went, this is a robbery. And... Paul was like, oh, fuck, okay, mate, there's no need for that, you know. Yeah. And then he he said, Ivan then knelt down again, rummaged under the seat and pulled up a rope. And at that point, Paul knew it wasn't a robbery because, A, why do you need a... a, Yeah. He had a a revolver in his hand. He was pointing a revolver at him. Why do you need rope? Plus, why would you rob a fucking skint backpacker? Yeah. He ain't going to have fuck all. And he said at that point, he knew his survival instinct kicked in and he went, he unbuckled his seatbelt and he thought, I'd rather die running away than what the fuck he's going to do with me, that rope. Yeah. He just, he said, I think his exact words were, um, he said, he said, I've seen the rope and I thought that's going to take a bit of time and he's going to do whatever he wants. I just thought run or or die. So I undid my seatbelt and jumped straight out of the vehicle and I ran. He said, um, I haven't got out of the car as well and chased him, chased him along the road and he heard the gun go off a couple of times as he was running away. He was trying to flag down passing cars. And he um, he said no one would stop. People were slowing down and then seeing all this going on and just carried on driving. And he thought, right, the next if, if no one stops, I'm just going to jump out in front of the next car. Um, the next car that he tried to flag down, luckily, did stop. It had a lady in it called Joan Berry. And she, had, she was with her sister and five of their children. And he said he just slid... As soon as she slid down, he just slid the door and he just threw himself in the back. Like, imagine, like, on top of all the kids, probably. And she's going, what are you doing? Get out. And he went, just go. He said, she said she heard him say something like, he's got a gun, just drive. And so, luckily, she said she just turned around and she drove back the way she'd come, um, heading towards Bowral Police Station. Mm. And Paul said he was so frightened and so relieved to get in. All he heard was her say something, let's go to the police station. And he shut the door and he looked out the back and Joanne did as well she looked out of her rearview mirror and they both saw Ivan Milat just smirk he had, the, he said he had this chilling smirk on his face and he just turned around and walked back to the truck um, unfortunately in all the hoo-ha neither of them had the presence of mind to make a note of the um, number plate of the car of the truck um, yeah so they went back to the police station reported it um, Bowell is quite a large town it's 90 minutes drive from Sydney and it was filed amongst other petty crime. I don't think armed robbery is a petty crime. I don't no. know why it weren't taken more seriously no. at that point. 
no. But it wasn't. So obviously in his panic, he'd left all of his belongings in the truck. Mm-hmm. Now, Paul um, returned to Sydney. He went back to Sydney after he'd reported it. And his girlfriend, Michelle, flew out to join him. And they continued travelling around Australia, this time on a bus. They didn't hitchhike. Oh, wow. Um, he, he said he kept getting really ill. He, couldn't, he slept all the time. At uh, one point, he said he was at a U2 gig in Paris, and he just had a massive sort of mental breakdown. And it's that, it must sound like PTSD to me. Yeah. Um, because, obviously, he escaped with his life. Um, we think this incident must have scared Millat because he stopped killing for around a year. Presumably, yeah. no bodies have been found. Because yeah. he had just killed that Australian couple a couple of weeks before. And, obviously, he already wanted to, he wanted to kill Paul Onions like two or three weeks later. Um, yeah, he killed the Melbourne couple only a couple of weeks earlier. So, um, so yeah, Paul Onions manages to get through to the Australian police. He gives his account again because they've lost his original account. So he gives the account again and it goes into the system with 5,000 other statements and that's that. Now, in the um, this special task unit that's been put together to find a serial killer, there's a policeman. Um, what's his name? I wrote it down actually. Paul Golden, another mm-hmm. Paul, Paul Golden. And because a lot of people credit Paul Onions for breaking the case, and he didn't. It was Paul Golden who was the policeman working on the case. He was convinced that the person they were looking for was somebody who lived in Liverpool because that was the, that was the locality to where these crimes were being committed. In Paul Onions' statement, he remembered that this Bill character had said he was from Liverpool. So what Paul Golden was doing was rifling through it I mean, fucking hell, this geezer is really good. The computer wasn't working, so he's gone through 5,000 pieces of paper looking for these, looking for keywords. One of them was Liverpool. Mm -hmm. He's found Paul Onions, seen the word Liverpool, bosh. Ivan Millat, I mean, they don't know the name of it, Mm. but um, the Millats are on the radar at at this point as well because of what Richard's been saying. Also, Alex Millat, another one of the Millat Mm -hmm. brothers, has phoned the police station and said that he'd seen the two girls being abducted. He's, he gave this very detailed, weird account. He, yeah. he was driving along the road, and he'd seen a girl in the back, and she had tape over her mouth, and she looked just like the girls that had been found. In. It was a very strange thing, but it was really, again, it's highlighting the Millat family, plus the Millat family are well-known to local police. Yeah, um, They fit the bill. They're obsessed with guns and yeah. stuff. Um yeah, so this Paul Golden, he's dug out Paul Onion's statement and chatted to him, blah, blah. Anyway, a week later, Paul Onion's is flying to Australia. And I love him. He's, I mean, this is four years after the attempted yeah. abduction, the attempted murder. Um, he said when he landed in Australia, he was really frightened that he was going to be met with um, Ivan Millet. Yeah. Because... He went, the geezer's got my passport, he's got my wallet, he's got all of my belongings. And I was worried that it was just a ruse to get me there and he was going to try and kill me again. He, this is how yeah. damaged Paul Onions was by the whole incident. It's, I mean, he's a brave guy to get back involved in it. A lot of people probably wouldn't get yeah. involved in it. Um, but no, he said he was really relieved there was two like Sydney detectives waiting to collect him. <laughs> um, so they showed him... 14 photographs, and he picked out Ivan Millet from the 14 photographs that they showed him. Um, they interviewed Alex Millet and Alex Millet's wife, and he's, 
they had this big long interview and just as they left Alex Millett's wife went oh by the way before we they moved up to Queensland before we moved up to Queensland Ivan gave us this backpack it's a fucking Simone's big backpack you think oh, she'd so. say for as soon as the police come we're investigating she'd go oh backpack killer we've got this backpack yeah. Ivan give it to us yeah. do you want to well it was like an afterthought Lauren anyway so based on um, Paul Onion's positive identica- identification, it was right in the vicinity. It was bang in the middle of the Blanglo um, forest. Same MO, gunpoint, robbery, tying people up, backpacker, same time. The backpack for Simone that we know that uh, Ivan's given it to his brother and sister-in-law. Yeah. They finally have enough to get search warrant. So they get a search warrant for Ivan Milat and his family. So they have, um, I think they simultaneously do something like 13 houses in the same day. Um, Yeah, so at 2am on the 22nd of May 94, 300 police set out on 11 simultaneous raids as they weren't sure who was involved. Now they've got it in their heads, they're looking for a, a, a accomplice, like a duo, two people maybe more um so they just do it all simultaneously raid all of the millet houses um at 6 30 in the morning they don't obviously that's at, that's at 2 a.m i don't know why but they leave ivan's till last at 6 30 in the morning they phone him so um this guy who's in charge he phones ivan miller in his house and he says to him, can you come outside to cooperate with the officers who have surrounded your house? We've got a search warrant and it's regarding a robbery. Now, he was at home in bed with his girlfriend. <laughs> he had a girlfriend. I mean, fucking hell. Um, so they raided his house and they found lots of belongings that belonged to the victims, including tents, backpacks, cooking equipment. They also arrested other members of the Millet family when they found large amounts of ammunition and bindings and cable ties like the ones that were found at the crime scenes. And Millet was a compulsive trophy taker and he distributed some of his trophies to various family members. Oh and these belongings would be a really important part of the prosecution case against him, being as he never confessed <laughs> to anything and always maintained his innocence. Um it was said that he doesn't conform to the usual serial killer profiles as he killed both sexes and often in pairs. Um, hey, so yeah, so going back to all of the evidence and bits and pieces like that, he, um, so Caroline, she had this really favourite top that she used to wear, similar to what you're wearing, actually you've got green and white on. Yeah. So she had this Benetton like rugby shirt that she really loved. Her mum said that she um, she wore it all the time at home and of course it went with her when I travelled to Australia and there's actually a picture of her in Australia wearing this Benetton rugby shirt he had a photograph of his girlfriend wearing that same shirt Um, they couldn't find the shirt but they did have that picture of her wearing it and they they investigated it you can't buy that shirt that shirt's only available for purchase in the UK so it definitely was Caroline's shirt I mean he's given his girlfriend the clothing of the girl that he'd killed it's really disgusting isn't it it's not nice it's really disgusting. And, um, yeah, he, yeah, he, oh, lots of things. Like you say, the backpack, all sorts of stuff. So, so in March 96, Australia's biggest murder trial began. Ivan pleaded not guilty on all counts and all of the victim's parents were in attendance. 
So obviously, like most of them have got to fly from overseas, yeah. haven't they, from Europe? Um, Ian Clark, who was Caroline's dad, said that he had to sit in the same courtroom as me like, every day and that he couldn't believe that such an insignificant little man could wreak so much horror and misery on so many people. Ivan's defence was a man called Terry Martin. Uh, Terry Martin was in the documentary I watched and he said um, he had to, his only defence that he could find was that maybe it was another member of the Minute family and so that would create doubt in the minds of the jury. So, yeah. um, like like you said before, this is a way of the Millet brothers getting out of trouble with the law. There were so many of them. They all look the same. They've been getting away with this since they were little kids. Mm-hmm. So, they've, he's, he's trying it again at this big murder trial. Um, so, although there were belongings of the young people at other family members' homes, Ivan's property was described as an Aladdin's cave of evidence. Uh, Simone and Deborah's sleeping bags were found in his house. Plus, he had the matching ammunition and the weapons that had been used. So, he had the .22 calibre bullets. And there was also direct evidence linking him to Caroline Clark. So, in his house, um, a rope was found which had her blood on it. Um, they took blood samples from it. Obviously, they couldn't check it against her blood. So, that her parents, they got blood samples from her mum and dad and checked it for comparison and the blood that was found on the rope that was found in a pillowcase in his fucking house would have come from the child of those two people. So it definitely was her blood. Yeah. And he's kept he's kept the rope that he tied her with and put it in a pillowcase and put it in his fucking house. Um, they also found, this was disgusting, a 12-inch... They called it something else, but we I would know it's a Rambo knife. Yeah. You know, that yeah, awful, yeah, yeah. awful-looking thing that yeah. you just skin animals with? They found that in a work bag in his house. Nah, it was really it's a frightening looking weapon Lauren it's horrible Um, now when the police were searching the house they went up into the loft and there was this cavity in the loft where he'd got a bag and stashed parts of the gun that he'd used to kill Caroline with Um, there's a pin on it that leaves an indentation on the bullets which is unique to the bullets that were found in Caroline's head you know the head that he used as target practice Mm. so yeah it absolutely showed i mean he kept saying it was a stitch up someone had stitched him up there was way too much evidence in his house i mean he's done him he stitched himself up yeah he didn't have to take all those things with him but he couldn't not he had to take all that stuff with him and just look at it i should imagine and just gloat and think about it and see his girlfriend in caroline's top and yeah it's far oh it's so horrible isn't it um, so yeah, that that showed it showed conclusively using ballistics evidence that it had been used as a murder weapon. It was the .22 Ruger rifle, which was used at two of the murders. And Milat denied that it was even his, even though it was painted with that same pathetic camouflage paint like all his other stupid fucking guns. Yeah. Ivan was so confident that he would get off that he actually went on the stand. I think his I think his lawyer they never say go on the stand, do they? Because no. you know it would be so easy to be yeah. tripped up. So there was one day in particular that. Um, Ian Clark, Caroline's dad, mentioned, and he was being—he'd been being cross-examined all day by a cross- prosecution, and it was just before four o'clock when they're about to leave for the day. And he has been asked about a pair of rubber gloves that had been found at his house, and he started to say, "I never wore no," and then he stopped. And um, wow. Caroline's dad said, "You could have heard a pin drop," and the prosecutor said, "Was you going to say?" you didn't wear them in the forest. And Caroline's dad said, and then he turned to the jury and the judge and said, I think this will be a good time to adjourn for the day. And he said, that was the moment that made everyone think, yeah, you did it, you did it, you done it. And he described it as a magical moment. 
Um, so the fact that he very nearly slipped up and said, I never wore no gloves when I killed them yeah, girls. Yeah. Um, oh. Coupled with the huge amounts of physical evidence, it made for a very compelling case and he yeah. was found guilty on all charges, um, consecutive life sentences and um, never allowed out. And he got an additional six years for the attempted murder or the abduction of Paul Onions. And um, he died in prison without ever discussing his crimes or admitting his guilt. But there's a bit of a caveat on there mm-hmm. because some people say that he did confess his crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, just to touch, he did die age 74 on October 27th, 2009. He'd been diagnosed with cancer six months previous. So, yeah, that's that's that. Um, so he wrote in prison. Yeah. So there was a few bits and pieces about that he had admitted to things. Um According to his brother George, who's all over the um, crime documentaries that I watch, he did confess his crimes to his mum before she died in 2001. Wow. So apparently their mother, Margaret, she went to visit him and he did confess that he'd done it to her. Um, but there's another deathbed confession. So Millat's defence lawyer, John Marsden, this must be another mm-hmm. one of his lawyers, he was dying and he wanted to clear his conscience and he said... That he wasn't just an attorney for Ivan, but for the whole Millet family over the years. So he knew their history. Um, and he gave a statement that not only had Millet confessed to him that he had killed all of the victims, but that he had a partner, his sister Shirley Swire. <gasps> wow. Mic drop. Yeah. Here's a little bit about Shirley. She sounds like a female Ivan to me. So she was a staunch defender of Ivan, Shirley, Marjorie, Elizabeth. Obviously, she was a miller. Mm-hmm. Um, she was born two years after Ivan in 1946, and she visited him in jail. Um, she got married to someone called Jerry Swire. So obviously, that's why her name. The couple had two children and later divorced. And she bought a house at Eagle Vale with Ivan in 1992, and she lived with him until he was arrested. And she introduced Ivan to his girlfriend, who he was lived with at the time, Shalinda right. Hughes, in 1992. In 1996... She pleaded guilty to the charge of possessing an unlicensed pistol buried in the grounds of Eagle Vale Home, where they carved their initials on a path. And it reads I and S, 31st of the 12th, 93. Like, that's weird, isn't it? Why would you yeah. carve your initials with your brother? Yeah, it's weird. So relatives acknowledge that Miller had a close, if not sexual, relationship with Shirley, who he lived with in southwest Sydney when he was arrested in 94. Of the incest, another Millat brother, Richard, that's the gobby one who's mm. always stoned off his face, said about Shirley and Ivan, what's the difference, one or the other, if you're doing it with your sister or your mate up the road? Dang. So did you notice anything about incest or anything when I they were didn't. growing up? No. no. It sounds like it was they rampant. They think incest is best. <laughs> <laughs> just because it rhymes doesn't make it a thing no, <laughs> fucking no. hell filth absolute filth so I think that I I mean fucking hell how many people around these campfires while these poor people yeah. are but to be honest wouldn't the backpackers feel safer if there was a man and a, a woman? woman I was just thinking mm. it took me back to last week's case straight away it did, didn't it? it as soon as you said that yeah. I thought bingo that's it and Crazy, you know how I it? get me old it's spider sense yeah yeah you do that's the one Absolutely. they get a bit safer with a woman in the car, even the yeah. one that's alone, and she knows it's not safe. She's yeah. she's smart. It's not like exactly. she's not smart. She's been warned, but if she's thinking there's a woman in the car, yeah, a couple in the car
the hair, obviously, it depends where, where, what sources mm-hmm. you look at, but it could have been her hair, Shirley's hair, yeah, possibly, yeah. Um, so yeah, I wonder. Wow. But also, I mean, why did Richard know about the Germans? Yeah, he must have known about it as well. Yeah. Um, but I was just listening to. There's a man who's written a book about it, so he knows quite a lot, and he. <laughs> Uh, he thinks that Ivan started out alone, and I agree because mm-hmm. he was on his own when he tried onions. to abduct Paul Onions. Yeah. So I think that he probably did take the first couple on his own. I'm not laughing, I'm sorry. I just want to shout out Onions and, all the time. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, so he was on his own, that's what he thinks, for yeah. the first few, and then he probably had an accomplice for the last, probably, yeah. four. Yeah. So I, I do think so I as think well. there may be more out there, so... yeah. I know the policeman who was in charge of it thinks maybe another three or four. Mm. There's some like proper strong contenders, but there's no proof. Proof, and yeah. I think the reason why he thinks another three or four is probably based on the property that they got from his house. Yeah, I think there's probably backpacks and things like that that don't belong to the seven yeah. people that have been found. I reckon there's another three or four lots yeah. of property that they haven't been able to find who it belongs to so that's that's my belief i know some people i think his brother the crazy one george yeah was going like oh another 25 30 but i don't buy that to be honest but um, i I suppose it could be but i don't think so um he's such a trophy taker i think that if there there'd be evidence if there was more more people but yeah i wouldn't be surprised if richard and shirley were up to their fucking necks in it but shirley's dead now anyway ivan's dead i don't know if richard is yeah so yeah um so yeah that's the end of it that that son of a bitch show that bloody ivan died without telling anybody um where anya's head was oh so i mean what's that about he wouldn't admit it he just wouldn't admit he'd done anything i reckon he's buried that head on his property somewhere oh do you think so god blimey i think so that he probably took it. Yeah, because yeah, somebody did say they they believe he probably took the head with him. Yeah, I, I believe so. Because he's got so many trophies, mm. that's the ultimate trophy. Yeah. Yeah, and it ain't a massive mm. grave he's got to dig. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I reckon you're right, actually. I think that, was, that would be on his property somewhere, unfortunately. Yeah, so there we have it. Uh, listeners, friends, fellow true crime enthusiasts, we hope you've enjoyed lot. that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we managed to get through it without Lauren crying. I yeah. thought you was going to weep, to be honest. There was some pretty grim stuff there in is. there. Duffy's yeah, done me like yeah. his daughter just yet. Yeah. No, the genocide. So, no, yeah. there's been no, a few. Been a few but, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I've been tough. This, I'm a tough yeah. cookie today. But yeah, thank you for listening, everybody. We hope thank you've enjoyed you. the podcast. I know it's been a big one, so hope we've done it justice. We love Australia. Yes, we do. And we'll be back next week for another crime around the world. Yeah. In the meantime, take care. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.